This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships? by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. Welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, the Ascent Leader, and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a conversation with 10th Church Senior Pastor Ken Shigematsu. He's a pastor. He is a thought leader. He is the author of The Survival Guide for the Soul, which is just an amazing, amazing book. Uh, But what I really, really appreciate about Pastor Ken is just his heart, his ability to listen, his, his desire to actually ensure that the text comes alive. And the way that he gets at that and does that is through sitting with people who think differently, running his manuscript and his ideas with people who uh, might not appreciate what he has to say. He's a pastor in a large, very ethnically diverse city, Vancouver, and he's just incredible. And like we often do when we have a pastor, preacher, we give you a chance to listen and hear their sound and then begin to unpack that. So hear a recent message from Ken Shigematsu from 10th Church in Vancouver, Canada. We're not all the same, but as Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrased translation of verse 11, from now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. And again, it's not saying that there are no differences, but those differences don't really matter anymore because we recognize if we're in Christ, we have a common creator and that we are all loved by Christ and that connects us. There's some fascinating research that shows that if I present a photograph to you, but you can't relate to the person in the photograph, the brain scan will show that the compassion circuits just behind your forehead don't light up. But if I simply add a sentence or two that explains that this person has a common upbringing as you do, or a common educational background, or a common faith, then the scan will show that your, your compassion circuits just light up. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And when we recognize, as we are joined to Christ, that we are connected to other people in the world, every other person, through a common creator, that we are loved by Christ, but that person is also loved by Christ, we'll realize that we're not just a, a me, but to use Dan Siegel's expression, we are also a we, we, M-W-E. We're all, we're connected, and that helps us wear the clothes of Christ's love. Well, you just heard a clip from Pastor Ken Shigematsu from 10th Church in Vancouver, Canada. And I'm so excited to have this chance to uh, learn 
learn from someone who um, a dear friend of mine, Andrew Finch, told me is one of his favorite pastors, leaders, and communicators. And it was such high praise that I, I, I just immediately went and started to listen to this man. And is it wrong? This, this, just from listening, listening to these messages, I, I have seen a level of thoughtfulness, a level of care, um, this kind of preparation that just seems um, not just intuitive, but both intentional as well. And so, uh, Pastor Ken Shigematsu, thank you for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. Uh, it's, it's an honor to have you. Thanks so much, Steve. It's, it's an honor to join you in this conversation. I'm, I'm glad to be able to connect with you. Yeah, well, we just heard this clip of yours from um, a recent teach that you did called Clothed in Love. Can you give us a little background um, on the series and then also what you were trying and hoping to do in the teach? Yeah, the, the background for the series was um, wanting to encourage people to, to live into their new creation, which, as you know, Colossians emphasizes, Paul teaches on beautifully and powerfully. And so one of the images that I've been offering is that uh, if you join your life to Christ, uh, you are the caterpillar that experiences chrysalis and then morphs into a butterfly. And so uh, my colleagues and I have been encouraging folks in our community to live into their new creation, uh, to live into their new capabilities, thanks to Christ transforming work in them. And so this was a message that encouraged them to live into uh, the, the the new love that they've not only received, but have to offer to others. So beautiful. It's such a deep teach. And that's one of the, the things I really respect. And, and I, well, when I can feel the thoughtfulness of a pastor, it just communicates so much to me um, because there's thoughtfulness in the way sentences are structured. There's thoughtfulness in theology. There's thoughtfulness in the care. There's thoughtfulness in the challenge. There's thoughtfulness in casting a vision for what this new life, this resurrected life can look like. I'm curious, um, because you've been pastoring, how many years have you been pastoring preaching for? So I've been pastoring and preaching for about 25, 26 years, depending on how you count it. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Is, is that something that's um, always been true to your makeup? Or has this been something that you've kind of been the 25, 26 years of preaching and teaching where there's almost been a morphing, a chrysalis of itself when it comes to um, the ideas of truly pastoring and caring and leading um, and preaching um, in the way that you do and the, and, and the beautiful sound that God has given to you. Yeah, thanks, Steve. You know, um, I think in my early years of pastoring, uh, I had a love-hate relationship with preaching, especially the prep part. And so I came to a church here in the heart of urban Vancouver, Canada, that had cycled through 20 pastors in 20 years, had gone from over 1,000 at one point in the 1950s to 100 and something. And on one of my first days here, uh, the secretary walked into my office and said, Ken, if the ship sinks now, everyone will blame you because you were the last captain at the helm. <laughs> And I think she was trying to um, motivate me to work harder, but I just felt uh, depressed and I felt a great 
weight on my my shoulders. And given the fact that I'm kind of an achiever by temperament, I'm Japanese by origin, uh, I think I've always been conscientious. But uh, prepping sermons early on in my time here as a pastor was was really stressful. Uh, there was a time we launched an evening service in addition to the morning service. And so on Thursdays, the Thursday before the Sunday, in the morning, I would prepare my morning message. And then in the afternoon, I would try to prepare the evening message, which was usually pretty bad. And then uh, in the evening, I would uh, try to put together a study guide for, for the messages. And uh, Thursday was the worst and most anxiety-provoking day of my week. I went to a, a seminary just north of Boston called Gordon-Conwell. Some of your friends and the guests on this podcast will be familiar with that school. And, and years after graduating, I went back to the school and I happened to uh, run into my former preaching professor, Haddon Robinson, who has had a role in preaching today. And uh, I, I said, Haddon, what are you learning about preaching these days? And Haddon said, well, I've recently learned that our creative cycle occurs over a 10-day window. And so if you want to preach your best sermons, begin your prep process at least 10 days before you preach. And so I shifted. I went from doing all of my prep for two sermons on one Thursday, three days before the Sunday, to preparing uh, 10 days in advance. And I didn't put in any more time, I don't think, or not much more time. I had a kind of every other day uh, being in the text or you know, going to a commentary, doing an outline. But it took a lot of the pressure out of the, the preparation. And it, it enabled me to approach it more prayerfully, to ask the question, what is the text actually saying? And then uh, on another day asking, how can this apply to the lives of people in our community. And then perhaps most, or as important as anything else, it gave me the opportunity to pray through the message and ask, how am I living it? Uh, is this true of me? And, and uh, hopefully be able to preach it from a place of greater integration. I, I love that last phrase you just said, greater integration. And the space of 10 days, um, I, I find, I think that is brilliant. And I mean, what 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 Haddon Robinson did for the pulpit for preachers? Uh, I mean, just I had a few times of interaction with him, and one in Grand Rapids when he came and and spoke at a local seminary, and I just, man, the wisdom of of that man. I'm just profoundly grateful, and um, but it's it's kind of like when you buy a new car and you think you're the only one that has it, but now that you have this new car, you're driving around, you're like, oh, there's another white Toyota Tacoma. There's another, you know, white Ford. There's another, you know, you, you start to see it. But when when you have 10 days to live in this text and you can go, oh, when you think about clothed in love and you have 10 days to go, man, that that was a moment where somebody on staff or someone in my neighborhood wasn't clothed in love or was this beautiful chrysalis embodiment of greater integration of resurrection power and resurrection life. So that time, how did, how did that work early on when you started to, to kind of make that shift? If you can go back and, and remember, because I, I think a lot of preachers begin their prep the week of, and some of them live by the deadline of the bulletin, you know, and on a Wednesday or Thursday, but some just find themselves um, wanting to create space. One, 
what was that like early on? And then how did you fight to maintain the space instead of just letting 10 days become seven days, become four days, and then get yourself back into the old pattern of preaching? Yeah, part of what helped me uh, stick with this pattern, and in fact, I have a somewhat longer runway now, is that my colleagues in the worship and design teams felt that it was really helpful for their preparation. And so, again, I I don't know if it's because of my Japanese origin, but uh, I want to be a good team player and want to be aware of how my actions or inactions are impacting the team. So that's certainly uh, a motivation. But another more intrinsic motivation came from the fact that I found that with a longer runway, I was actually um, enjoying the process more. Um, I think that when I was prepping the messages on Thursday, I I felt a desperate need to go to the text and come up with some kind of interesting message, maybe force the meaning uh, uh, to insert something that I'd just been thinking about or some great story that I had heard. And and so um, the, the longer runway enables me to um, actually enjoy the process. And I think that's reflected eventually in the, 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 the writing of the sermon and the preach itself. So my, my wife um, is uh, originally from Tokyo and she was um, the editor of a news magazine there and then uh, worked in publishing. And as I was writing my, my first book, God in My Everything, I felt awful about the early drafts. Um, I, I was I'm kind of feeling, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I want sort of the world to see this. And it was just, it was, it was sort of depressing. And uh, my wife, Sakiko, who had worked as an editor, said that if you feel anxious as you're writing, your readers will feel that uh, when they read it. And uh, she said, you know, um, you know, you've got a daytime job, um, you know, so you, you don't, you're not under pressure to write to, to make a living. So she encouraged me to just, you know, take my time to enjoy the writing. And if that were to happen, she felt that the readers would, would, would find my writing easier to read. And I think the same is true of preaching, that I think if we're enjoying the, the, the process and feeling that God is with us uh, and that we're not so anxious that we're just in constant rumination mode, that when we actually preach it, there'll be a sense of, of relaxed um, receptivity um, among people in our communities. That is a brilliant insight, especially when you think about the writing, but how that translates to the stage and the pulpit. If there is anxiety in the writing, how that can obviously be felt in the subconscious. That's, man, I'm going to sit on that. That is a, that is a brilliant bride that uh, God has given to you. Um, I, I'm curious because a couple of things you, you mentioned this like prayerful, that space to be prayerful. I'm always curious how pastors um, kind of use that longer runway to pray over the message. Um, sometimes I think sometimes you can, when you're running late, you're, you're almost do 95% of the work and you, you pray that God would bless the last 5%. But when you have a longer runway, what, is, what does that look like for you, Pastor Ken, just in the, the prayerful um, prep leading into a teach? Yeah, so part of what that means is if I'm not having to, you know, write the last part of the sermon, you know, late Saturday night, it means that there actually is some space Saturday night. I'm, I'm, I'm basically prepared. And I can go for a walk through our neighborhood with our golden retriever, Sasha, 
I can sit in a time of silent centering prayer, and I might uh, recollect some of the major movements of the sermon. But at that point, my mind isn't preoccupied with framing the last couple of paragraphs. It's more of a posture of receptivity, and sometimes I'll pray. Psalm uh, 139, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me or in this message, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so it it feels like more of a posture of Lord, uh, if you want to redirect me, this would be a, a good time to do it, you know, before uh, preaching as opposed to after, <laughs> although I've had some of that too, um, after the fact with some regret. Uh, but yeah, I, I and I feel like it, it, it provides a space where, you know, if I'm feeling anxious, uh, maybe I'm in a new setting, I can, I can pray, Lord, um, you know, we're in this together and it will either succeed or fail <laughs> together. And, and so, um, yeah, it, it enables me, I think, to um, focus more on the Lord and what God might be doing inside me as opposed to just the words of the text. So, yeah. so that's so beautiful. Um, a, a couple, a couple other things you, you just mentioned earlier in the podcast and, and you referenced your heritage and kind of used, and maybe it's because of my Japanese heritage. I'm curious, um, what other insights for better, for worse, that when you think about your Japanese heritage has helped you um, when it comes to, to preaching and helped you come to um, look at the text in preparation. Um, and then what are the other ones? You, you kind of mentioned like achievement, you know, it's just maybe it's almost in a sense of blessing and curse, you know, but is there is there others that you said, hey, this is some of the pieces from my tradition that... Um, it might be just fascinating for our listeners to, to hear uh, from a different context of the blessings of what it was like to kind of bring um, your culture to the forefront when it comes to preaching. Yeah, thanks, Steve, so much for asking that. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question, but I appreciate uh, your, your uh, tapping into that. You know, Japan, is, is as you know from your own experience, Steve, uh, is uh, a culture that's been very much influenced by Confucius values, which in shorthand means that uh, Japanese people tend to care a lot about how their actions or inactions uh, will affect their families, bring shame to their families. Uh, they're also concerned about um, what they uh, say and how they say it might um, impact the feelings of people at, at their school, a company, or a community. And so as preachers, we're called to sometimes preach on um, painful prophetic issues. And so last fall, we had a, a series on, on racism for four weeks. I, I've spoken on God's love for the unborn and, and addressed uh, the, the question of abortion. But when I preached that message, I knew that th- there would be many people in the community that have had abortions. And uh, Vancouver is a very secular city. We uh, tend to tip toward people as a church that are, are not churched and that are not necessarily socialized in a Christian context. And so before preaching that message on God's love for the unborn, I vetted my uh, sermon manuscript before six people who were uh, either not Christians or liberal feminists or certainly uh, pro, pro-choice. And uh, I, I listened to the feedback and um, I didn't change everything by any means. I, I maintain my core convictions, but I wanted to convey things in a way that would honor how they would experience it without compromising the truth. And I think as a Japanese person, I am somewhat tuned in, probably 
largely unconsciously to how other people are feeling. And that can, that can be a help. That can also be a hindrance as well uh, yeah. at times. Yeah. If, if, if I, I uh, acquiesce to being too much of a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love the, that just the bringing in people who might uh, disagree to kind of see the notes, to see where you're heading, to feel your heart, and then to hear that feedback. Um, I've been watching this uh, documentary on Theodore Roosevelt that the History Channel, and and one of the things that he did often was that. And I just I I realized like, man, that is a that is a lost art. It's easier just to be like, this is what I think. I don't care, or this is what I want to put out on Twitter. I don't care. But again, that that. I keep using this word thoughtfulness about you, uh, that thoughtfulness to be able to go in there and to really be able to be integrated with and aware of your core convictions, but also be able to, to live with how somebody else might receive it. That, I think that is what makes your preaching so special though, because when you can really live with an ability to go not just what do I want them to know, um, but but how do I how do I almost like a good shepherd care for them to lead them towards real living water? Yeah. Um, that uh, is there a moment maybe like in a message recently where you thought, man, because I I, I want to like press in on this because this just with the way you said that I, I'm like this is this is what this is one of the elements that makes you special as a writer, uh, as a, as a preacher, as a communicator, as a leader, as a pastor. But is there like one of those moments where you're like, man, this is, this is what I want to say, but then maybe a couple questions came to mind to go, Hey, blank, blank, blank. I don't know what those questions are, but do you have questions that you run that through to help you just remember because you have five locations, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, in a very diverse city, Vancouver, that just to make you not just think from your vantage point, your perspective, but to be aware of greater Vancouver. Yeah, th- th- there are um, a couple of things I do, but in terms of, yeah, in, in the moment, I will have prepared. Uh, last Sunday, I uh, spoke from Colossians on the theme of living and working before the face of God. And uh, I wanted to convey the idea that you know, n- no matter what our work, even if it's not particularly glamorous or highly paid or prestigious, that, that, it, that it matters to God. And uh, at one of the services, I, I looked out of the corner of my eye and I, I saw someone who I know in the community who... Um, lost his job during the pandemic. He was designing uh, stages for rock concerts and, and the like. Uh, and when that all dried up, he ended up working on construction sites. He's been having some problems with his back. And, and so um, without pointing him out, uh, he, he was in my mind. And I uh, talked about how Jesus was a day laborer. The word tecton can be translated carpenter or day laborer and that he worked with his hands. And and, and that was a noble work. And uh, I mentioned that um in the second century, the well-known scholar Justin Martyr, who uh, grew up just over the hills in Galilee, where, where Jesus was raised in the second century, said that the plows and the yokes that Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, and Jesus made were still being used. And, and, and so Jesus built yokes and plows that were built to last. And when we 
use our hands to, to build something that honors God, that, that really is noble and that matters. And so I had, I sort of shifted in, in the moment. Uh, and, and, but I also do something um, that will help me perhaps anticipate how my words will land uh, with the community and, and my colleagues do the same. When I first came to, to 10th, uh, this would have been back in 1996, my predecessor had some teenage kids, and after the Sunday service, I heard that they would uh, basically have the, the pastor, their father, for lunch, so to speak. It would be like roast our dad, and they would offer all kinds of uh, creative critiques. And I thought that it would have been really helpful for him to hear those critiques before he preached. And so uh, several days before anyone here preaches on our staff, including me, we'll, we'll vet our message past some colleagues, uh, sometimes past a layperson. We always want uh, a woman in the room for sure and uh, and some different perspectives. And so we'll run our ideas or our sermon past folks and people can say, well, I think a part of our community would respond this way if you said that or if you said it like this, uh, I think there would be more receptivity. And so that also helps. That's so good. I, I Again, anytime you can get people to hear it, to who can actually say what they think in the room before you go on stage. I mean, the, the heart of the word prepare means before you go public, you know? And so to have that, I think is a gift. And it's really beautiful going on 10th's website, 10th.ca. I'm obviously you're in Vancouver, Canada. That's why the .ca, but um, made up of five locations on 10th Avenue. But I love your teaching team. I, I love being able to see that um, the ways that you have cultivated this team of really incredible preachers, but the, the sound, um, they're, they're very different communicators all, but you, you seem to have a sense of values that kind of hold you and anchor you all together. Um, is that, is that, um, codified? Is there a a document that says, Hey, here, here are the five values we want from every one of our preachers, or here's the sound of, you know, 10th Ave church. Like, do you have that? Like most churches, we we have vision and value statements, but we also have a document. It's not uh, you know publicly available because it's probably not of public interest. But yeah. uh, we we have a document called Tenth Speak that we'll often share with our um, our guest speakers. And so it, it, maybe some of these things are pretty obvious, but we'll ask people you know if they use theological terms or jargon to explain it again because it's a secular city. We're drawing people from uh, backgrounds that are not especially Christian. Uh, we'll ask people not to say disparaging words about uh, people on the LGBTQ2S you know, spectrum, um, you know, things along those lines. Not to, again, we believe in the uniqueness of Christ, but not to launch a frontal attack on another religion, you know, things yes. along those lines. So, yep. yeah, so yep. we've got something called uh, called Tenth Speak. And yeah. I love, I love that. Well, the other piece I, I you know, am fascinated by you is, you wrote a book, I want to say, was it 2018? Mm-hmm. Um, and I came across it um, in, in 2018, personally, it was probably one of the hardest years of my, my life. And it was titled so beautifully, A Survival Guide for the Soul. And it was um, words that I... I, I even just in the subtitle alone, a flourishing spirituality. And when you're almost feel like you're limping to the desert, you know, and 
you know, your first chapter, if I remember right, is all on the divided self and you're unpacking this whole self. And, and I, and I just, just began to almost lap it up, like just drink up the, the depth of that. Um, you mentioned you're an achiever. Um, I'm an achiever. Um, talk about maybe the, the heartbeat of this because it's, in, in my opinion, I, I think that there, you know, is probably 50 books that are probably mandatory reads uh, for preachers. And I think this is one of those books that needs to be read because every pastor, every preacher is, you know, going to go through a dark night of the soul. Um, and I think what you articulate so beautifully is how to, what are the practices what are what are the ways that we can walk and not preach from a divided self, um, but actually live from a whole self? Um, talk about this book and and what it meant to you and what it came out of. Yeah, again, Steve, I think it it, it came out uh, in part um, of my my own heritage. Um, I was born in Japan, but raised mostly here in North America, and you know, sometimes when I'm back in Japan. And I'm typically back there each year. I'll think to myself, thank God that I didn't experience the pressure of this country, of Japan, to get into the right kindergarten and, you know, the, the right high school, their exams for kindergarten, high school, and so on. But if I'm honest with myself, you know, I still feel the pressure to achieve. I, I felt it back in my sports playing days. I felt it when I worked in the corporate world for a brief time. And as our, our pastor friends and, and uh, listeners will know, I, I still feel it. We still feel it as, as pastors. And we, we talk about, you know, defining our life, uh, you know, not by what we achieve, what we do, how well we do it, what we have, how we're perceived by others, but invariably we, we tend to default to that mode. And so I wrote this book as a kind of personal exploration of the, the practices that can awaken us to a deeper sense that we really are, a deeper experiential sense that we really are cherished by God so that our service comes not out of a need to, to be approved by God or others, but out of a deep place of gratitude that comes from knowing that we're already accepted, we're already received, and, and then to make the offering from there. I feel that's a, a better, freer, more joyful place from which to live. Oh, man. Well, and, and talk about those practices. Were there a couple for you that have been, because again, most of us who are preachers are achievers. Most of us are driven because we want, there's a, there's a, a holy urgency to reach our friends who are far from God. There's a deep desire um, and beauty to see people, not just, not just know information, but actually step in formation of Christ and, and be formed in the way and likeness of Christ. We have that, but also there's those dark sides. What, what were a couple practices for you that helped you not go off the rails? You know, if you think of like a lattice so that a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a vine can actually grow well, um, you know, that's kind of the, the heartbeat of the rule of life was that kind of mm-hmm. picture. Um, what, what for you were some practices that, man, just you, as you were writing this, we're like, that was really helpful um, then and have been helpful now. Or maybe with these two practices were helpful then, but these are the two new ones that have been really helpful in this season of COVID and post-COVID reality. 
Yeah, one of the practices that has been really life-giving during during COVID, but also before, has been uh, silent centering prayer or or meditation. Um, You know, there there have been times when I've woken up during COVID and I've realized that someone in our community has lost their job or a beloved parent uh, to COVID. And I I felt a lot of weight on my shoulders, anxiety, uh, uh, sometimes a feeling of depression. And so I'll typically begin my morning with a run with our golden retriever in a nearby park or a swim, as I did this morning. And then I'll simply take some time to to sit and breathe deeply. I'll light a candle. I'll open up a a free app called Centering Prayer, uh, created uh, by uh, the late Father Thomas Keating, a Trappist monk. And uh, there's a time that makes me think I'm in a monastery being summoned to pray by, by a bell. And, and so because I can set a timer to say 15 or 20 minutes, I'm not thinking, oh, how much time has gone by? And I simply take some time to sit and breathe deeply in through my nose, exhale slowly. Breathe in through my nose, exhale slowly. If my mind is wandering, I'll often take a brief passage of scripture like Psalm 46 and just repeat that. Be still and know that God is God. Breathe in deeply. Be still and know that God is God. And it's very simple, uh, but it stills my mind. And when the 15 or 20 minutes are done, Time sounds, I open my eyes, and I know this sounds very subjective, but I tend to feel a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more centered, a little bit more at peace throughout the day, and I always feel uplifted. I don't always feel like I'm top of the world, but I I always feel um, a greater greater sense of joy, and I was uh, sharing this with someone uh, just uh, the other day. Um, Years ago, I was uh, dating uh, someone. We didn't end up getting married. Uh, I was uh, in my 20s, and she introduced me to a friend of hers. And this friend uh, said something along the line. She wasn't religious, but I think she knew that I was hoping to become a pastor one day. And she said, I feel like you're at the next activity, that you're not really here, but you're somewhere in the future. And it was sort of offensive and painful. And so, um, you know, I I remember it to this day. uh, But uh, I I noticed that lately, um, including my wife, uh, has said that you tend to be, I know that you're restless by nature, but you seem to be more present, more in the room. And I think that this is largely the result of this silent meditation to, to be present to life and less inclined to either be living in the future or ruminating um, regretfully about something in the past. So that's one practice. And, and then another, Steve, uh, and I think this helps to mitigate my tendency. I, I would say, yes, God is first. My, my marriage, second, family, third, and friends, fourth, work, fifth, or whatever. But in terms of the actual operationalization of my life, I tend to prioritize work in my calendar because that's measurable. I, I, I've got a benchmark, you know, <laughs> it, it releases dopamine when I uh, accomplish something, check something off. Uh, so, so Sabbath, which ideally is a 24-hour period of time when we don't work and don't do anything related to our work, not only opens us up to a life of greater joy and being alive to experience what Joshua Heschel the great Jewish theologian described as a palace in time, but it also can free me from the potential idolatry of relying too much on preparation. And so I'm not a particularly detail-oriented person. And so some years ago, I was asked to give 
to speak at a general assembly for the Pentecostal Church of Canada in, in Saskatchewan, right in the breadbasket of our country. And I didn't realize up until like a couple of days before that I was uh, supposed to give not just one keynote address, but two presentations. And the other one had to be sort of an original talk. And I realized that the only day I had to prepare was on my Sabbath. But I sensed an invitation just to trust God. Now, if you're Pentecostal, you're saying, what's the problem? Because, you know, apparently if you're Pentecostal, you just stand up, the spirit falls on you, boom, you've got an oracle. But I, I'm not that anointed, unfortunately. I generally need to prepare, but I I, 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 I didn't prepare much. I had a little outline and and and, and God was, was faithful. And so I think Sabbath uh, opens the doorway to, to embracing the, the gift of life, but also to, to trust God because there's always... Um, it's always going to be the case that it seems as though there's more work that we can do in five or six days. So that's so good. I mean, for any of us that are achievers or, you know, driven by ambition or constantly struggling to live in the present, uh, Sabbath, silence, solitude, centering prayer, as you describe, those are, those are profound anchors to ground us in the here and now. And, I, I love that Sabbath just has this ability to kind of allow you to delight in God's goodness and almost like a wedding ring where you just re- you look back and you just remember uh, that special day. You remember the vows, you remember the, you just, you just remember. And I, for me, it's, it's, it's that delight. It's that moment to just remember like, okay, God's, God's got this. It's it's not on me. It's like I, God's got this, uh, and it just it there is something that just slows you down. Um, I you've been doing this 25, 26 years, and you've probably seen um, just moments of sheer delight in the kingdom of God. Um, just just um. Yeah, moments where you've just seen the church just thrive and flourish. And then, you know, you, you've probably seen some seasons where the church hasn't been at its best. And I don't mean 10th. I mean the church, cap, universal C, you know, big C church. Um, and yet it feels like more and more leaders are struggling to finish well. It seems like the character piece is catching up. And, you know, there's there's a lot to say about Twitter, but... I feel like Twitter um, is a place that um, everything will be brought into the light, unfortunately. And fortunately, I'm curious for you, as someone who's been doing this for so many years, um, I live with this mantra every time I walk back to the my, my car in the parking lot of a church, no matter where I'm preaching at, I just have this short little breath prayer. I'm one weekend closer to finishing well, mm-hmm. one weekend closer to finishing well. And to try to stay humble in that and also remind myself that the goal is to finish well. What does that look like for you as someone who's been, you know, at this and doing this faithfully and, um, and none of us doing it perfectly, obviously, but just in the faithful steadfastness, um, yeah, ha, ha, any, any insight? Because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people who listen to this who are in their 20s and 30s, a lot of people listening in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, what what words, sage words? I'm I'm giving I'm putting that word onto you because I just think you're so thoughtful and, and wise. But would you say um, around character and around integrity and greater integration, 
so that we can be people who are clothed in love, live with that resurrection power and finish the race well. Yeah, as I indicated earlier in our conversation, Steve, um, in my first days and, and, and months and, and probably years here, I was frenetically trying to keep the ship afloat. That wasn't my job, but I was taking on a burden that that wasn't mine. And um, for whatever reason, uh, in, in the years that have followed, I have come to believe that the greatest gift, and I just came through uh, a 360 evaluation facilitated by my board, which they do every year. Every year around this time, I say I uh, will volunteer my resignation if the board feels that's in the best interest of the church. So I want to be open-handed. And um, the, the the chairman of the board, as we were debriefing the the, the evaluation, said that um, said to me in this space that that I'm doing this call from, uh, said the greatest gift that you bring the church is the person that you are becoming. And uh, I really feel, you know, you know, like you, like other pastors, I'm sometimes asked the, the question, what's the most important part of my job? Is it vision casting? Is it preaching? Is it leadership development? All those things are important, but uh, his words meant a lot because uh, I find myself saying that the, the most important part of my job is to, grow into a person more like Christ. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it comes from a place deep within me. And then, Steve, I have found that uh, something called the, the welcoming prayer that was first introduced by a woman named Mary Murkowski, you know this one, is something I pray several times a day because I need to, um, uh, to, to be freed of my idolatries. And so I, I was praying this earlier today, actually in, in the pool of all places. Uh, Lord, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I let go of my desire for affection and esteem. I let go of my desire for power and control. And I let go of my desire for security and survival. And so I think that that prayer that's inspired out of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness uh, is one that has has been good for my soul. And so uh, I recommend that. It's called the welcoming prayer. You can find it online. That prayer is how I start most of my mornings. Um, It's welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, and I saw you. I, people don't catch this in uh, just the audio, but as I mentioned, welcoming prayer, uh, Steve was giving a big fist pump. <laughs> well, and at, maybe if I, because you you quoted uh, this second or third paragraph of it, but let me let me just read all of this because I think mm-hmm. it's a it's something that um, I, I love these little surprises. That's I, I feel there are moments where I learn something new. Um, and I've I've already I've been taking notes as you talk because there's been things that you said that I've never thought about. And then there's um, some moments of solidarity in the sense of, oh, man, um, uh, a friend in Vancouver who is probably going through a lot of pain because the Canucks can't ever seem to win. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sometimes I, asked to pray for the Canucks. You know, yeah, exactly. On those rare years, they make it into playoffs. But these moments of just, oh, solidarity of like, oh, that's awesome that um, in a pool today, you were saying this and on a walk today, I was saying the same words, you know? And, um, but before I say that, I, 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 I just got a little emotional just thinking about your elder, you know, your board chair, just saying um, the greatest gift that you offer this place is the person that you are becoming, the pastor that you're becoming, the, the, that, that gift of 
imitate me as I imitate Christ, but just, man, that's what deep words, you know, um, you know, Paul writes to Timothy in, in the first letter and just says, you know, um, that everyone see your progress, mm-hmm. you know, like, like that your, your chick can see the work that you've been doing, um, and how centering prayer or silence or solitude or just the ways that, um, you're stepping more fully into yourself. So that's such a gift. And just, I love that you shared that story. Thank you for that. Um, but, but let me just read this welcoming prayer because maybe it might be beneficial for, for many of you. It says this, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me in this moment because I know it is for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for security. I let go of my desire for approval. I let go of my desire for control. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. And I open to the love and presence of God and the healing action and grace within. Amen. Man, I, I just, I love, uh, when you said Keating the first time I, you know, with the the app, I was like, um, I wonder if, and then when you brought it up, I just <laughs> love that. Love that. Well, um, pastor Ken, thank you. What a gift this was. Um, I f- this is our first time really ever interacting. I, I feel like I've, um, started listening to you out of a friend, but I had read your work, but hadn't heard you. And over the last few months, I've been really, really looking forward to this time to just to sit and, and hear and learn. And, uh, man, you've, you've been a real, real gift. Um, where, where can people find you? Obviously I already mentioned 10th.ca to learn more about your church and hear your messages, but are there other places that people can find the good work that you are creating for the kingdom and beyond? Uh, yeah. So our, our website, uh, 10th, that's, uh, spelled out. So Tango Echo November, Tango Hotel. Charlie Alpha, as you mentioned, that's for Canada. Yeah. And then, uh, people can contact me, my contact information is there um, on the website. And then I'm, I am on Twitter. Uh, uh, and, and so people can message me there if they want to. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, just taking the time and just being the leader that you are and the pastor that you are. And um, thanks for the ways that uh, your steadfastness, your faithfulness, um, and the ways that it's just so evident to see um, just that butterfly, that like who you've become through that resurrection, sanctification, and beauty of the spirit at work in you and through you. So much love, man, grace and peace. And thank you for this time. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure connecting with you. Well, thanks so much for tuning into the Craft and Character podcast. I'm so excited because we've got an an amazing, amazing cohort that's launching in the month of August, the one and only Nancy Beach. Uh, It's for women and men. We believe that we are better together. We've got an incredible faculty, Herbert Cooper, Megan Fate Marshman, myself, Nancy Beach. We're going to walk with you for a year. I think there's only a couple spots remaining. Go to theascentleader.com, sign up. And also, you got to check out Preaching Today. They have sermon illustrations that help you. They're just, it's an amazing website. And it's really more than just a website. It's a community that wants to help you kind of inspire you, uh, make an idea come alive, whether through exegesis or sermon illustrations, or just some articles that people are writing 
for your soul to preach and speak to your heart and your mind. Uh, it's an amazing member community. Thousands upon thousands of people are a part of it. I'd love to help you join. Um, you can go to orderptnow.com slash CC30, and you'll get 30% off the monthly rate. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity. And then uh, Food for the Hungry. I'm super excited. I'm going out to the DR, the Dominican Republic. I want to see it firsthand because I just keep hearing stories after stories after stories about the amazing work that they're doing. And uh, if you're curious, you want to go on a trip or you're curious about the work that they do, please reach out, steve at steveryancarter.com. But with that said, friends, I hope that you will have a blessed week and take one concept, one idea from Pastor Ken, and may you put it into practice to serve and love your congregation well. Much love, everyone. See you soon. Grace and peace. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.